Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patagna alongside Director of Scouting Andrew Ivins. we got a great show for you today, Drew. The new Heisman odds are out. Michael Penix Jr. at plus 200, Caleb Williams at plus 220, Bo Nix at plus 600. We got Washington, Oregon this week. You think those are going to change after this weekend? I mean, I'm just I'm I'm coming out. Michael Penix is the guy right now. I know you're still holding that Brock Bowers ticket plus 3500. How are we feeling about that? I was going to say where is he? Is he like <laughs> top 10? He's in the I'm mix. I'm hoping for I'm hoping for an appearance in New York. And then maybe there's a cash-out option. I said that this weekend. I think that's doable for him. And I don't think it's like the fact that he, he's having a good year, but it's the fact that he has dominated the game at his position for three years straight. And I think in order for him to get to New York, he's had to do what he's done over the last three years. That's the only way he gets to New York, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I think Mike Bobo knows he is Georgia's best player on the offensive side of the ball. And as the season has progressed, it has turned into feed Brock Bowers for good reason. All right, a little PSA to those of you listening out there to the Oyster Boys. Start of a new era. Producer Lance Glenn, not with us anymore. Off to the New York Stock Exchange. We're very happy for him. But also, new schedule for us. We will remain doing our shows on Tuesday and Wednesday, but Thursday no longer. And we will soon be on video format. I am very happy to say that. And we're going to bring you a a great product like we're going to continue to do here. So, Drew, let's get into it. Teams of the week, freshman of the week. We'll start there. Your team of the week, Oklahoma, the Red River rivalry. How about that game, man? Back and forth. It was like haymakers going between Texas and OU. I I wasn't shocked, but I I have to say it was – I didn't expect that outcome. I expected Texas to kind of continue to ride the hot hand that they had, but this is a huge win for OU. Same. That's what I had expected. I don't know. That game just has kind of like weird vibes. I think if you're a player, and I've never been to the shootout, I've I've never been there, but just watching on TV, like it seems as if it's a high-pressure situation and weird things just happen. Maybe it's the neutral site the crowd but I just get the vibe consistently that like players feel the pressure um and Cooper what I had scribbled down here is Oklahoma are they ahead of schedule right in terms of I don't know if you want to use the term rebuild um but go back to last season they finished 122nd in total defense 119th in passing defense 106th in rushing defense and 99th in scoring defense. Now, after beating Texas, they're 51st in total defense, 85th in passing defense, 
33rd in rushing defense, and this is the big one, 11th in scoring defense. Now, I know they haven't faced anyone uh, as good as Texas, but that was kind of my takeaway. It was a 34-30 game, but I thought on the defensive side of the ball, there was a lot to like. I mean, you talk about the goal line stand, right? Um, Three turnovers that unit forced. They also had a season-high five sacks. I mean, last year in the same setting they were boat raced 49 to zero um so to me i I think the story is is that defense and 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 you look at oklahoma's 2023 recruiting class it finished number five for us the two defensive headliners safety peyton bowen and then pj out of war you know both those guys didn't start but they played over or close to 15 snaps pj had a pressure Peyton Bowen was making plays on the back end. Um, I just think, you know, this is a sign of what's to come, especially when you start looking into this 2024 recruiting class for the Sooners. And it's sitting number seven now, but the strength of that group is really on the defensive side of the ball. David Stone, five-star defensive lineman, Jaden Hardy, kind of a Swiss army knife slot defender safety. He's a playmaker. Uh, Jaden Jackson, another interior pass rusher out of IMG Academy. So I I don't know. I just, I came out of this coop. I'll leave it like this on Oklahoma, right? I think me and you had this conversation a few months ago. Hey, is Jackson Arnold going to be the quarterback for the Sooners coming out of uh, the Red River shootout? And then Dylan Gabriel goes and, you know, does something that no Oklahoma quarterback has done before against Texas in terms of throwing for more than 250 yards and running for a hundred on the ground. You got to, give a ton of credit to Jeff Levy. I know we want to talk about the defense as we should. I mean, they've improved, but this kind of felt like a program defining win for Brent Venables in his short tenure in Norman. I mean, it it just felt like it wasn't like they had to have it, but Drew, you talked about, it's not how you lose. It's not losing game. It's how you lose games that I think define you as a head coach 49 to nothing the year before in that same setting. So for them to get the dub, I think that says a lot. You mentioned their improvement defensively. That's the biggest thing for me that I've kind of had my eyes on. 122nd in total defense last year. Drew, you mentioned that. They're 51st in the country right now. And like I said, they're six in total offense. What I get excited about, Drew, when I think about Oklahoma, is that they have cornerstones in their program. And you're talking about a team right now that is ascending to get this win in year two against Steve Sarkeesian head-to-head before you go into the SEC is a big momentum changer for this program. And you talk about P.J. Adebore, Peyton Bowen, who they think is going to be a superstar. And then the guy behind Dylan Gabriel right now kind of waiting in the wings I think is legit, the real deal, right? So this program to me, Drew, and then you talk about that 2023 class, some of the other pieces, Petaway on offense, Samuel Omosago defensively, Caden Green on the offensive line, Vickers, Jacoby Johnson, Lewis Carter, Josiah Wagner. Top to bottom, I thought they had one of the deepest classes in the country. And then what do they do in 2024? Right now sitting at number seven in, in, in the top ten of the 24-7 composite team rankings. The other thing that kind of gets me fired up Andrew, is they took 17 transfers last year. And if you're Brent Venables, he's probably going to say, listen, that's not the way forward for us. But I like the fact that they're not afraid to go attack their roster in the transfer portal. And you look at some of the guys that they they brought in, Walter Rouse from Stanford, DeSaul McCullough as well. Andre Anthony, I know he's banged up, but is their leading receiver to this point. So I think Oklahoma is in a really – 
interesting situation in a positive way. They're organically building through high school long-term and then short-term. They're still able to attract some of the best pieces in all of college football through the transfer portal. And to me, they had to get this year right on the field before going into the SEC. This is a big year, not only from a win-loss standpoint, but from a momentum standpoint, recruiting in that conference. I think a lot of recruits out there maybe had some questions about Oklahoma. I don't think they have any questions anymore. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is ammunition, right? We keep saying three months until the early signing period. You would have to assume the path to the Big 12 title game looks very favorable. I mean, they're going to be in the college football playoff conversation, and that's what you want uh, as you look to start prying some guys away from some other recruiting classes. Yes, they're number seven, but I still think there's some more juice out there. Hey, on, on Deshaun McCullough, remember, he was a freshman All-American at Indiana. I mean, he was one of the top, quote-unquote, free agents in the transfer portal, and, and they get that, that done. And he, I think he graded out as Oklahoma's second highest defender, according to PFF in that win. I mean, he had a major impact. So you would think that's going to be the formula, right? You know, continue to build through the NFL draft, which is your high school recruiting, and then go and get some difference makers from different parts of the country that are on, on other rosters. Is it fair to say all three of those guys, I, I call them cornerstones, uh, for the future of Brent Venables' program. They're all on time in terms of their timeline. Jackson Arnold, we've seen play a little bit this year. We knew he was going to be one of the more ready-made quarterback prospects in the 2023 cycle. We've seen that already. P.J. Adebore, I think for him to get 14 snaps in this game, we all know how big of a freak of nature he is, Drew. But this was a guy that had to come a long way in terms of player development. So for him to be able to get those type of snaps in this type of game, in this type of setting, says a lot. And then Peyton Bowen, a guy who's really going to be the, the guy, the tip of the spear of that third level for years to come. So Oklahoma sitting in a great spot. Drew, my team of the week, Louisville. All right, you got one more point on Oklahoma. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think PJ's ahead of schedule, right? I think it's kind of notable. You know, is it out of need and necessity to get him on the field? Maybe a little bit of that. I mean, He's obviously a freak, a guy that was on the freaks list, but you go from his junior season of high school to what he did as a senior. Then we see him at the Under Armour All-America game there in Orlando. There was some flashes, but I thought it was going to be, you know, maybe a full redshirt year. Maybe maybe it's a, a full year in that strength and conditioning program. So I think that's really, really promising. I would say he's a little ahead of the curve playing in a game like that. I'm excited about him. Uh, one of the best players in the country, one of our favorites to evaluate in the 2023 cycle. So like I said, good time to be an Oklahoma fan. Things are looking up. Always good to be an Oklahoma fan when you beat Texas. All right, Drew, for me, Louisville, number 25 Louisville, beats number 10 Notre Dame at home, 33-20. to They moved to 6-0 under the season under first-year head coach Jeff Brom, who came over from Purdue. Jack Plummer, 17-24, 145 yards, a touchdown, nothing spectacular there. How about the Louisville defense? Held Notre Dame to 3 of 13 on third down, 0 of 2 on fourth down. Aldrich Estime in that powerful Notre Dame rushing attack held to 44 total yards on the ground. Notre Dame also turned the ball over five times, three of them through the air, accounted for by Sam Hartman. Jawar Jordan on the other side, 21 attempts, 143 yards, two touchdowns. It's kind of surprised how balanced Louisville was in this game. Drew, I mean, you look at Louisville right now, 6-0. and The other thing I will say about Notre Dame, somebody made the comment on Twitter, it just feels like 
Notre Dame gets everybody's best shot. And then all of a sudden you look up after two weeks ago, close game against Ohio State at home. You come out on the wrong side of that one. You beat Duke. That one goes down to the wire. It's like emotionally exhausting, taxing games. And then you look up, you're on the road at 6-0 and Louisville, right? And then it just kind of seems like it snowballed a little bit. Uh, Notre Dame, to me, I still believe is a good team. This schedule has proved to be a little bit more legit than I think people thought it would be preseason. Louisville, 6-0. and They go to 1-4 and Pittsburgh this weekend and then have number 17 Duke at home. I don't know the updated injury status of Riley Leonard, but at least having Duke at home uh, is is a big break for them. But Drew, are you su- are you surprised at all to see Louisville at six and zero in this situation? I know I am. Well, I know coming into the season, everyone kind of noted they had one of the easier schedules. But I, me personally, I was like, all right, are they actually gonna are they actually gonna do this? A lot of new faces in a, in a lot of new places. I mean, you want to talk about the transfer portal? They were as active as as really anyone in that market. Uh, on the Notre Dame fatigue thing. That's kind of what I thought this was a bad spot for the Irish. Third straight primetime game. You mentioned being taxed emotionally. I mean, you're sitting around the hotel, all three of those games. Everyone's talking about your game. Um, so I think that that contributed a little bit. I mean, Sam Hartman, three interceptions. I think the last time he played at Louisville, he tossed a bunch of picks as well. He just he just does not seem to have his best stuff in the Derby City who who is calling the defense for the Cardinals? Like that is certainly, I think they got a co-defensive coordinator situation going on. Mark Hagan, Ron English, I know my guy Steve Ellis is is coaching corners there. Um, impressive, and it, I opened up the hood and I was like, all right, Louisville, great recruiting class last year. They made a ton of noise. Was there a ton of freshmen that played? And that and that really wasn't the case. Here's the other thing. I'm glad you mentioned the the defense coordinator shout out. I was looking this morning. I was trying to figure it out. I saw it in the booth, but I had the had the TV on mute. I'm like, who's who's running this defense for Louisville, shutting down Notre Dame here? The other thing, how about Notre Dame? You come home and you got USC and you got Caleb Williams. You got to figure out a way to slow those guys down. Now the good thing is for Jared Parker, you should be able to put up some points against USC. And if you can't, that's probably a bigger issue at hand. Pittsburgh and then on the road at Clemson. So. Not to mention Wake Forest on the road at Stanford. I think they should take care of business there. Wake Forest proved to be a hard out against Clemson this past weekend. One more thing on Louisville, right? Looking ahead, you know, moving the moving the chains. Number fifty three right now in the in the twenty twenty four recruiting rankings. I think that would be. I mean, to me, you want to talk about a team that is maybe underachieving a little bit. I think Louisville. It'd be fair to. Put them in that category. It seems like every month, you know, me and you are asked who's not getting it done on the trail. I think Louisville's an easy one to point to. With that being said, six and zero now, probably going to move to seven and zero. They have plenty of ammunition to go out and start going for some guys. And I, Thursday night, I was down at a game in in Miami Dade County. Um, Larry Tarver, he's just a, a, a cornerback committed to. Maryland. I mean, we're talking about a kid that's 10-6 in the in the hundred meter dash, kind of like a slot corner. And I was just talking to him pregame, and and he brought up, oh yeah, Louisville's trying to get me to visit. So I wonder, you know, how many of coals in the fire did the Cardinals really have? And if we're going to see some 
some fireworks on the recruiting trail down down the stretch. I mean, remember last year? I mean, it was they were involved in some high-profile recruitments. They had an announcement at the All-American Bowl. Uh, I, I think they're one of the more interesting teams to watch as we approach that early signing period. What was your impression of Jeff Brom as a recruiter at Purdue? I think that's a, that it's hard to recruit to Purdue, right? I think it is, but I also am encouraged in, in the short amount of time that Ryan Walters has been there. I feel like he's kind of re-energized right. that program from a from a recruiting standpoint. I don't, you, you know, you had guys like George Karlaftis, who was a big in-state win. On top of that, you had Rondell Moore as well. To me, Brom had some splashes there that were kind of eye-opening. It was more top to bottom. All right, can this team really compete in the Big Ten? You know, I don't know well, much it, about what Louisville is doing this year, but I think I, I, I think it's yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I think Purdue is more player development, right? Carl Lattis is a kid that's right in your backyard. I mean, there was some notable wins, but I think it's more of evaluation, coach these guys up. I think Louisville can be a destination of sorts for recruits, right? You know, I think you had like Jack Harlow. He's been out a few games. I mean, Adidas is one of the flagship schools for Adidas. And specifically speaking to South Florida, I mean, two of the top quote-unquote stars or some of the biggest names out of South Florida in recent years have gone to Louisville. You got Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, Lamar Jackson, Tutu Atwell. Like those kids, all everyone knows them down in the Tri-County area. Um, so I think Louisville – they start winning. They're able to get into some fertile recruiting grounds. We've seen them in Georgia. Uh, you know, last cycle they were out in California. Um, it's a city, and it's it's not a college town. And I think to some families, some some recruits, that's that's attractive. I also think that they can do they can do a good job in the portal. I mean, in terms of what we saw last year, massive turnover. Right, that program, 12 transfers that they brought in under uh, Jeff Brom, maybe even more than that. I might be missing on that. But I think that can be a good bounce-back program from a transfer standpoint as well. A little bit of mix and match, kind of like what we talked about earlier with Oklahoma and the job that they've done. So there are teams of the week right there for us. Andrew, Oklahoma, mine, Louisville. Shout out to the teams of the week. Just a little reminder, you're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast with Cooper Patagna and Andrew Ivins. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcast, Spotify, Apple included. Make sure to leave a review on there as well. All right, Drew, let's go to freshman of the week. NC State, I believe this is a quote-unquote hashtag shout-out to Steve Wilfong, young man, that you had as a potential impact freshman in the ACC at NC State, wide receiver Kevin Concepcion. Eight catches, 108 yards, two touchdowns. Big win over Marshall, 48-41. to 41. Charles Huff got Marshall going, by the way. Um, Drew, this was a guy we kind of had on our radar late, I think, as we did a little bit more digging before the season. He's turned out to, uh, I think, make us both look pretty good. He has. And shout-out to Michael Clark, our NC State uh, insider who said Kevin is probably NC State's wide receiver, and to me that an alarm went off in my head. Okay, that's it's probably not a good thing. I mean, this is a guy we had as a high three-star prospect. I think I crossed paths with Kevin one time at Battle Miami tournament down here in South Florida. Like Nico Iamalievo was playing, Dante Moore was playing. Uh, Kevin was not on the radar that day, 
but I remember seeing him and, you know, went off against Marshall. NC State makes the change at quarterback, moves on from Brennan Armstrong. I mean, they squeak it out 48-41, but he was kind of the difference. Two touchdown catches, like you said, over 100 yards, and that has been the case all season for him. I, I, I marked him down not only because we highlighted him back in August, but I also wanted to get into the profile. It's like, okay, how, how did this guy – not earn a fourth star from us what was what was the difference and <laughs> i mean the only track time you got on him 11 8 1 in the 100 meter dash as a senior 40 catches just over 600 yards four touchdowns um i think it's a difficult evaluation you know those are the guys that you're going to miss on reading through some of dave doran's comments joker phillips there they think it's his ability to create separation is what is what has him on the field. Uh, so wanted to give him a shout out. And Cooper, I'll also say this: he's got a younger brother, Arian Concepcion. I had someone shoot me his film earlier this week. Uh, 2025 wide receiver from the same high school there in North Carolina. He's already got an offer from the Wolfpack. You would think that is a layup, uh, and he's putting up big numbers through five games. So he was the easy one, but. Coop, it was not it was not a week of the freshmen. A lot of teams on buys. Uh, for my honorable mentions, I had to dig to find some guys. Drew, speaking of, I'm fascinated. What what is your process for finding freshman of the week? A lot of PFF, a lot of Google, a lot of box scores. I like. Fortunately that. for us, we're in this position that you can just read a box score and you're, you're going to know who the. Uh, who the young guys are, right? I mean, you recognize a lot of names. Right, in-depth knowledge there. All right, I'm going to go with uh, Dylan Thieneman, Purdue, safety. Also made our list preseason in terms of potential impact freshmen in the Big Ten. And this was a guy out of Indiana that Mick Walker, shout out to our boy who uh, oversees our Purdue site for 24-7 sports. He said, this is the guy. He's running with the ones. They love him over there. Ryan Walters, huge fan. Interception, eight tackles, and a loss against Iowa on the road. Boilermakers fell to the Hawkeyes, 14-20. to 20. Drew, he's, his name has popped up a couple times, and it's pretty interesting. You go back, you were talking about PFF, but you buzzed the tape. Some of the key plays, they play him 22 yards off the ball, and they just kind of let him roam. A rangy guy, super instinctual. Closes the gap quickly, but not afraid to kind of stick his head in there defensively and run support either. But this is a dude that I think is going to be a household name for Purdue going forward. He just keeps showing up, man. Just one of those guys, I think, right place, right time. He's got 53 tackles and three interceptions this season. Already over 400 snaps. Crazy. I mean, crazy for a freshman to be relied upon that much. And obviously, he's uh, he's proven to be well worth it. So, Kevin Concepcion. Dylan Thieneman, congratulations from the Oyster Boys, freshman of the week there. Drew a couple honorable mentions. Aiden Childs, who we had mentioned in preseason as well, two for two, 21 yards, and a touchdown to Oregon State's 52-40 win at Cal. It seems like Jonathan Smith is uh, smartly trying to find ways to get him involved, right? I think every week we kind of go back and we see, like, one drive here or there from Aiden Childs. That, uh, he's a talented freshman, right? That was one guy that I picked in the preseason that was like, all right, I don't know how. That, I don't really have a path, but I think he's going to play a little bit. Is that portal defense? I think so, because I will tell you this, in the land of uh, not everything being above board, 
if I caught wind that that guy was looking around, he'd be one of my first phone calls. So okay, I, I, mean, I, I think you got to find a way to continue to kind of dangle the carrot a little bit. Yeah, and that's, that's not taken away from Aiden Childs. We loved him at the All-American Bowl. Late riser for us, finishes in the top 100. It's just the reality now with college football, right? Got to keep these guys engaged. Got to signal to him that, hey, he's absolutely the next man up. I think it's a smart play. I, I didn't get eyes on the touchdown pass, but it seems like it occurred when the game was not out of reach. A couple other names, Drew. I'll let you give uh, some one-liners here. Conrad Hussey. You sent me a video this morning watching Conrad Hussey do some work at Florida State. He graded out as FSU's top defender. The Knowles knocked off Virginia Tech 39-17. He had a pass breakup, forced fumble. And a fumble recovery on 26 snaps, that is what I would call a productive day at the office right there. A couple other names, Jordan Faison at Notre Dame, two receptions, 48 yards, also had a 36-yard touchdown reception. Notre Dame still trying to figure it out at receiver. Good to kind of see him step up. Stan Quan Clark drew a guy that both you and I are big fans of. Got 19 snaps for Louisville against Notre Dame. He had a tackle pressure on four pass rushing snaps. And then Ethan McKinney. Started left tackle for Georgia Tech in the upset of Miami. We will talk about that in a second. Did not give up a sack in 33 uh, block snaps. Drew, we had him as a 86 overall rating. I tell you what, Brent Key's kind of got some things, uh, some things going. A couple young guys kind of standing out. Eric Singleton, one of those guys as well. They're they're kind of a, I don't know. I kind of got my eyes on them going forward. Well, I put Ethan on here because. I mean, I feel like every week we are talking about left tackles and, and how hard it, it is. And there's another guy that is playing. So you got Francis Mauanoa, uh, Chase Besantis, right, at, at Texas A&M, Spencer Fano before he got hurt, Caden Proctor, and then now Ethan at Georgia Tech. So that's four or five guys at the, at the Power 5 level. Not easy to do. Um, and I actually, when I was watching that game, I, I kind of noticed him. I Try to went, go back and, and refresh the memory on him. Uh, Cooper, the one I want to highlight here, Jordan Fiazen. My phone blew up when he caught that touchdown pass for Notre Dame. And his story is a bit wild, right? He's a kid that goes to Pinecrest or went to Pinecrest in Fort Lauderdale. Was committed to Notre Dame for lacrosse. And then as a senior, Iowa offered him a football scholarship. He took an official visit there. uh, And he's playing in a throwback, run-heavy offense, working at quarterback. I mean, putting up big numbers, but it's in the lowest of low classifications in Florida. I mean, he's playing a bunch of private schools. And it seemed like Iowa was going to take him. Like, Iowa was the reason he was on my radar. He elects to stick with Notre Dame, and they tell him he can walk on, right? You can walk on. But as soon as he plays a snap, he is now on a football scholarship. And and talking with Tom Loy, who does an excellent job of of covering Notre Dame for 24-7 sports, he kept telling me, hey, Jordan looks explosive in camp. I think there's a chance he's going to play. And I thought that was a little far-fetched. And I think injury is the reason why he got onto the field and then he catches a touchdown. I had personnel people hit me up about him. And uh, Jordan saw him in the Miami-Dade-Broward All-Star game right before Christmas. And he might have been the best player on the field. They used him as a slot receiver. Um, so when you add it all up, it's it's not surprising to see him 
uh, find some success. And I think that kind of lacrosse, it, it trans it translates to football a little bit, right? With lacrosse, you got to go through someone, you got to go around someone, um, and you know that lateral movement definitely definitely shows up. So now. I'm interested to see how much does Notre Dame use him right now. He's on the football scholarship. He can't go back over to lacrosse. As soon as you appear in that, in that higher revenue sport, you are, you are tagged to them. Um, so we'll be fun to watch how he progresses over the years there in South Bend. I'm trying to remember the receiver that played for the Patriots. That was a serious lacrosse player. You remember his name? I, th- I think all of them. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know the Patriots, they had one player who had a rugby background, another one with a, a serious lacrosse background, but that is a hell of a story there for J- Jordan Faison. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Drew, it's the time in the show. We're going to talk a little bit of Miami. And I'm assuming if you're listening to this show, you watched the game on Friday night against Georgia Tech. Drew, I don't know about you. I was, I was watching on my phone. We had another game. Uh, was, it, was it Friday or Saturday night? Friday up. night. Or Fri- Saturday. Saturday. Saturday I night. Say- Excuse me. I don't, I don't know why I got mixed up there. Saturday night. Had it on the phone. I saw the change of possession, and I thought, okay, this one's done. And – I think I went to the restroom, came back, and then all of a sudden I saw Georgia Tech celebrating. And I said just, oh, no, what happened? And, you know, you kind of see the reaction on Miami's sideline, and then you, you get caught up to speed. The exact details we'll leave out. Basically, Miami had the most black and white situation at the end of the game where this is something that is, I think, from a head coach standpoint, the ones that I've been around, speak about this at nauseum and it's something they want to talk about in terms of getting in victory formation having a, a, a thorough understanding of clock management and how to bleed out the clock and that's the exact situation Miami found themselves in against Georgia Tech instead Miami chooses to run the ball with I want to say what 38 37 seconds leads to a fumble change of possession Georgia Tech goes down the field in a couple of plays and they win the game my first thought is, I'm not going to say from an analysis standpoint anything that nobody has already said. It's a giant mistake. It should never happen, and it's completely inexcusable. But now you got to go back, and you got to figure out, okay, how that happened, and how do we not put ourselves in a position like that again? Because that, that's completely 
on that coaching staff and Mario Cristobal, Shannon Dawson, all the way down, right? But it starts with Mario Cristobal. That cannot happen at all. Here's the thing, Drew. Outside of that play, the next two weeks, Miami on the road in Chapel Hill against undefeated Drake May. And then you come back home and you got Clemson. Miami was supposed to be, what, 5-0 and heading into those games? They're 4-1 and now. They had a lot of momentum and a lot of steam behind this program. And all of a sudden, it just feels like in the matter of a couple days, it has just completely screeched to a halt, right? A lot of negative attention around the program with a lot of people saying a lot of wild things about that one play. To me, big picture, long term, I might not even say this if I'm in that building, but what I would think to myself is there's a silver lining in this. We should never have lost this game, but we're moving on. It's over. We're 4-1. and one. We're going to find out what type of team we have, and we're going to find out what type of culture we have because it's going to be easy to go into Chapel Hill with your head down, poor body language, attention to detail. Assignment football is going to be huge in that game. It's going to be really easy to see that. To me, I want to see a team that fights and responds to adversity and keeps that outside noise outside. And that starts with a head coach owning that mistake, walking into that room, looking at every single one of those guys and saying, that's on me. But to me, Drew, if I'm a Miami fan over the next two weeks – I'm going to have a pretty good idea of what type of team and what type of players we got in that locker room. Well, I would agree with that. I, I think you offer a unique perspective, though, because you have, have worked under Mario for multiple seasons. Do you think this is kind of just what you get with the Mario? And let me preface it by saying I, I, I would agree. I think some of the the takes you see out there about fire Mario, fire this. It's like, I think Mario has some deficiencies. On the flip side, he's going to get you the players that you need, right? And we saw that. I mean, the day after that loss, recruiting section was packed. You had Jeremiah Smith there. I mean, it was a who's who's list of recruits. They, they land a commitment from Nye Carr, a, a top two, four, seven wide receiver that was previously committed to Georgia. You know, is this just kind of, is this what it is with Mario? The thing is, he needs to learn. This can't happen again. I know a lot of people look back, and I think it was an Oregon-Stanford game years ago where I think Cristobal had been in this situation before. I have said this. The marquee, to me, attribute of a really good head coach is the ability to look at oneself in the mirror, understand their deficiencies, and understand how to overcome. This cannot happen again. They can't be put in this position. The other thing is you can't see these blank stares on the sideline like what the hell just happened, completely shocked. Your job as a head coach, you have many responsibilities, but one of them in terms of in-game is clock management. And it's also being the guy that comes in to tell Shannon Dawson, take a knee. Not, not passively, take a knee. we got 37 seconds left, bleed it out, it's over. Now, the other thing is, he's got the responsibility to get this team ready to play next week. So they have to find a way 
to put this behind him. And here's the thing, I will say, at Oregon, when it was good, it was good. I'm talking about that locker room. When some adversity hit, that's where I kind of lost some sleep. So that's where I am with Miami. They're at this impasse right now. It's been really good. You're a 4-0. You should be 5-0. Something happens that shouldn't have happened, and now you got your two toughest tests over the next two weeks. If I'm Miami, find a way to keep these dudes engaged. Find a way to split these two games. But if you're Mario Cristobal, it happened. Clean it up. Make sure it never happens again. And get these dudes locked in. That's the reason you're getting paid $80 million, right? These guys get paid a lot of money not to sulk. They got to take ownership and accountability of what happened. And they got to move on. That's what any good coach would do. I'm with you, Drew. Should it have happened? Absolutely not. Is it defensible? Absolutely not. Is he the right guy for that job? I believe so. And I think that team in an era of talent acquisition is an ascending program. But he and his staff got to do their part, and their part is to put these guys in the best position to succeed. And they didn't do that, and they got to own that. I think it's just not even the fumble. I mean <laughs> – the defense that essentially shut Georgia Tech down, and it was it just snowballed, right? I nobody's mean, talking cover. about yeah. Nobody's talking about that one of the last plays that they give up the touchdown. There's no way you can let that guy behind you. You got to keep everything yeah. in front of you, and that to me, I mean, listen, what happened a couple plays before, that is what it is. We've talked about that. That play within itself, that can't happen either. Right, so there's a there's a lot of blame to go around, but Gidry, Dawson, and starting with Cristobal at the top, they got to own it and they got to move on, and they got to they got to present a united front. I'm telling you, stuff like this can break a locker room. So they got to they got to figure it out. They got to put it behind them, and they got to figure out how to go beat North Carolina. Two more thoughts. Did you like the uniforms? I, I like those Miami uniforms. I did. I'm not typically a fan of anything Adidas does. I didn't like Adidas when we're at Washington. Let me say this. Adidas, they've kind of, I don't want to say won me over. I like some of the things. I like what UW has gone back to, like, traditional. And I kind of like the Miami flair. I think that's kind of what Miami is. I think Miami belongs with Nike. I think that <laughs> partnership never should have ended. But, no, I like the unis. I thought they were nice. Yeah, I just I've seen over the years so many, I don't know, gimmicks or whatever you want to call it. Like those were kind of my favorite. You know who also had some good uniforms over the weekend? Maryland at Ohio State. I I like they had like a little yellow going on. I I was a big fan of that. Uh, And then last thing on the Miami game. I have this theory. That the guys that take it to the big three right in 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 these games where it's their head scratcher so whether that be florida florida state or miami the guys stepping up and making the plays are always from the sunshine state and they're guys that are getting back at the big three so malik rutherford caught that first pass christian leary is the one that caught the touchdown both of them are from florida malik what rutherford never got a look from the big three christian leary a little bit of a different story i mean went to alabama I didn't even know he was at Georgia Tech. That was one of the transfers I guess I, I just missed out on. But, you know, kind of kind of fitting for the narrative that it's two Florida guys uh, producing or, or coming up big on that drive. 
It's a talented state. It almost feels like just like poetic. I'm, you know, I'm, like, no, I know. I, it just, if you're a Miami fan or a Florida fan or a Florida State fan, it always just seems like, man, how do we miss always, on this guy, right? Yeah, it's like last year, I think when Duke beat Miami, Jacquez Moore, who was a kid from the Panhandle, when, it's like every year. I don't know if those guys get up for the game or the juices are flowing or they got family members, but it seems like it always happens. And it doesn't matter if it's Miami, Florida or Florida state. If it's one of those losses where you're kind of like, what happened? It's always someone from Florida is involved. All right, Drew in the world of recruiting, it's what we're called college football recruiting podcast. Shameless plug. Elijah rushing number eight player, five star, number one edge in the country from the state of Arizona just delivers a absolute brutal blow to Jed Fish and Co. Decommits. Oregon is now trending on the 24-7 sports crystal ball. Drew, what are your feelings on this? I'm not even talking about the player, but I, I don't know. I just – I was excited when he committed to Arizona because I thought, like, you see the NIL, you see it makes sense – you see Arizona, believe it or not, making strides. Take USC to triple overtime, lose by seven to Washington, played well in the second half of that game. I like what they're doing in the portal. And you're thinking to yourself, like, okay, Elijah Rushing is going to be a big part of this resurgence for that program. He's going to be the poster boy, right? You see DeMond Williams decommit from Ole Miss, commit to them a couple months later. And this is like a huge turning point for this program. A couple months later, comes out, I think it was the father of Elijah Rushing talking about the timeline, doesn't make sense for them from a player development and a championship standpoint. I don't even really, I don't even really look at that and take anything away from that. Um, but All right, you want, you want my raw, raw reaction? Sure. It sucks. Like, if you're a fan of the sport, I think it sucks. Because we're in this NIL era. Parody seems to be at an all-time high. And I'm all for programs that usually don't get five stars getting five stars or, or getting difference makers or even just top two, four, seven guys. Like, I think it's better for the sport. And... Yes, like Elijah Rushing is going to excite me at Oregon, especially with what Dan Lanning's doing. Like, if he ends up there, I mean, I'm not – I don't hate it. Do I love it? I would have loved him at, at, at Arizona. I was having a conversation with someone over the weekend who knows what space I'm in, and I was explaining, like, I, I'm all for the NIL if it's, if it's guys like this staying home, going to programs that they, they shouldn't – or they usually wouldn't go to. And, I, like, I, I think, it again, I think it's better for the sport as a whole. If you want, you know, these crazy seasons like we're seeing right now or we're going to go to an expanded playoff, you want more people engaged. We need more of it. Um, so I don't like it in, in that sense. Like, that's my reaction. It's, it's kind of a bummer. All right, devil's advocate. I'm an Oregon fan, right? And let's say this ends up playing out the way we think it's going to play out. Dan Lanning, the guy we call the Danimal. This is what you want, man. When guys commit 
to programs like Arizona, if I'm Dan Lanning, I smell blood in the water. I'm just like, all right, we're going to turn it up. And that's just like the guy he used to work for. There is no quit in Georgia. There's no quit in Alabama on the recruiting trail. They don't say, all right, let's let bygones be bygones. The moment the player that we want on the top of our board is committed somewhere else. And here's the other thing. If I'm Oregon, the best players on the West Coast, especially defensively, because we know USC is not playing defense, they come through Eugene. That's got to be the mentality. That's got to be the mindset. And to me, I love what Dan Lanning's doing over there. Big fan of what they're doing in the secondary. Big fan of how they're putting that defensive line together. I love this for Oregon in terms of, like, this team going to the Big Ten, doing what needs to be done to be a serious national championship contender. And I agree. I would have loved to see Elijah Rushing stick. But on the other side, if you're an Oregon fan, I think you got something cooking with this dude. I think this guy is kind of like foam-at-the-mouth type of competitor, you know, substance program, right? He's not out there playing for clicks. That's what he's talking about. <laughs> like, he's, he's the type of dude that's going to do whatever it takes when it all costs type of guy. And I kind of feel those uh, wheels getting in motion over there in Eugene. Let me throw this back at you. I think Jed Fish and his staff got to bite their tongue. Because you never know if Elijah Rushing's going to be back in that transfer portal. Very possible, right? They just got to keep doing what they're doing. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with what has happened. I don't think Arizona could have played this any differently. They got to find a way to continue to win games. And they've brought in some talent that has made a difference already. And I think that's the good thing for Arizona. You watch that game against USC. Noah Fafiti, who, like, yes, might be five foot nine, but that guy is just a baller, right? You look at what they've done at the receiver position. Jacob Cohen, T-Mac, right? They're a talented group, man. Ephesians Prysock at corner, really like him. They got to continue to be really good when it comes to talent identification and talent evaluation, and they got to be super opportunistic in the portal. Drew, I think they've done all those things. I don't think Arizona could do anything differently than what they've done so far. I think Jed Fish has got them going to a really good place. Watching that USC game, the thought crossed my mind, DeMond Williams in that attack is going to be fun. And we're talking about the quarterback commit that they flipped from Ole Miss. And I remember at the Elite 11 Finals, Coop, we got tossed the question, all right, what fit do you love? And I think I said DeMond Williams to Ole Miss. I love him even more going to Arizona. He'll be great there. They got something with Fafita too now, man. He can play. He's a little baller. All right, Drew, a couple more. Nykar to Miami, you mentioned it earlier in the show. It was all doom and gloom on Saturday, understandably so. Sunday, I believe, Nykar committed, correct? And for those of you who don't know Nykar, Nykar, former Georgia commitment, decommitted September 23rd, October, now in the second week of October. He's part of Miami's 2024 class. Drew, we said it on here before, Nykar is probably one of those guys that, like, 
There's a little bit of recruiting fatigue. If you're a Miami fan, you're probably in the middle of the season. You came off a game where you shouldn't have lost. You pick up four-star Nikar. You say, okay, that's good. Glad we're getting better. But, like, you look under the hood. Nikar is a dude. You put him with guys like Chance Robinson, Nathaniel Joseph, Josiah Trader, Robbie Washington. That gets me pumped. And this is a dude that can play outside in, dynamic in the return game. This is one of those kind of like fly under the radar type of additions that I think, not us, but a year or two from now, people will look at and be like, hey, where'd this guy come from? And then you look up and you're like, yeah, well, he's, he was pretty good. Everyone wants to talk about Jeremiah Smith, and rightfully so. I've said it. Nikar isn't like a consolation prize. He elevates that room, I think, the second he steps on campus, based upon what we've seen from him as a senior at Colquitt County. He fires me up a little bit more than Ray Ray Joseph, Robbie Washington, who they signed last cycle. I have a higher grade on him than I do Chance Robinson. I think Miami, and we'll see what that coaching staff looks like after this season, if Shannon Dawson's still there. But, man, they're going to have a chance to get very, very creative with their personnel groups in the future. you got Elijah Lofton, uh, tight end out of Bishop Gorman, H-back. I mean, they're going to be able to do some things. So, big win for Miami. I, I mean, I don't know about you. I was asked for some reactionary quotes on, I don't know, Thursday or Friday to Nikar to Miami. And then Saturday night after the game, I was like, well, probably just wasted 15 minutes of my of my time. And then sure enough, he committed on Sunday. So, um, And they had other guys there as well. I mean, he, he, he him and Jeremiah Smith weren't the only recruits in the stands. All right, one more commitment you wanted to talk about, 2025. Drew, I can tell when you're excited about a player just from your text. You and I are like the, you know, the married couple. We spend so much time with each other. So I can, I can tell when there's a little bit of like umph here. You're a big fan of 2025 receiver Javon Boggs from Florida. He committed to Ohio State on Monday. I think you're trying to tell us something. Like, don't gloss over this, dude. I really like this pickup for Ohio State. Is that correct? Accurate. Um... Ohio State's wide receiver room is continuing to stack chips under Brian Hartline. And this, I'm not going to say this is the same as Jeremiah Smith, but Hartline has a way of getting these guys to just low-key commit under the radar. I mean, Jeremiah Smith was not in an announcement ceremony. It was not on CBS Sports HQ. It was not on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. It was just a tweet. And that is so kind of rare in this air over in right now right guys are just like hey i'm committing to ohio state right now javon bogues same thing monday morning uh ohio state florida battle i love this kid had a chance to see coco versus saint thomas aquinas a few weeks ago um controversial game we discussed it on the podcast uh but javon against a secondary full of power five players was having sta essentially Uh, in shambles on the back end. I mean, they were pulling guys from the game, putting guys in the game. I mean, he is an elite route runner. 
unique build, and it's a it's a build that I don't think Ohio State really has in their wide receiver room. Like this is a, I view him as a high volume slot target. I think my player comparison for him is Ricky Pearsall, who was at Arizona State. Now he's Florida's wide receiver one. Uh, I, he just his play style is very similar. So yeah, you know this is flying under the radar, not going to be discussed a lot. Um, but I think six months from now, when the book is fully turned or, or the, we're on the 2025 chapter, we're going to be like, wow, Ohio State's got another dude at wide receiver committed. And we'll see where, where Javon ends up in the rankings. He's got the highest three-star grade for us right now. I think he's number 36 in the class of 2025. The, the breakout game for him came against Charles Lester, one of the top corners in, in the class of 2024, over 300 yards, a lot of it after the catch. Um, so, yeah, Heartline doing Heartline things. I'm going to say something that I think is going to surprise you a little bit. I'm surprised they took him. I think he is a good player. The build is kind of – the the build's kind of hard to describe. He's, he's kind of stocky, like – 190 pounds. He's he's wide. He's a good player. I'm on board with everything that you're saying. The other thing that I think we got to give context to is that Mark Pantone, his staff, Brian Hartline, they dig in on these dudes, especially at that position, because they can have anybody in the country. I think they've proved that. Run after catchability, I thought was okay. I didn't think it was great. You look at the testing, mid four six guy, excellent short area quickness, change of direction. All I'm saying, if I was in that building, I would have said, we want to take this guy this early. That would, that would be me. That being said, I know that that program, in terms of how they do their homework, they must love the kid. And the other thing oh. is, I'm not saying that he is not going to be a very good college football player. I think that will be the case. In terms of what they can get and what their standard is at Ohio State, I was, I was a little surprised that they took him this early. They worked him out in June because I had that same question. You know, I, I think I talked with him, like Ohio State. You know, he's wearing the Ohio State cleats, the Ohio State gloves. I asked. They said the workout was awesome. And the other thing, Cooper, yeah, man, you can go out and you can get all the elite dudes. But sometimes it's a balancing act, right? You can't take all four of the top wide receivers in the country. You can try. You got to fit guy. You got you got to find guys that want to be there. I think Javon wants to be there. And when we had Mark Pantone on this podcast back in the spring months, you know, he kind of signaled things are a little bit different now for them, even at a position where they're recruiting at such a high level. You know, you still got to fill out an 85-man roster. You still got to have what 12, 13 wide receivers. It's a lot of personalities to juggle. I agree. I'm I'm interested to. Uh... The names that have come to mind, Caleb Brown obviously transferred out to Iowa. Keon Graves was another one. You know, they've had some some guys there at that position where I thought, hmm, maybe they are the smartest guy in the room, right? Like, I like these guys, but I didn't know if I'm like, all right, those are Ohio State elite of the elite receivers in the country. And some of them have turned out to be that way. Some others, maybe not. We'll see what happens uh, with Boggs, but... Drew, you're a big fan. I'm a big fan of the tape. I like the tape, too. Just, you know, pushing back on that a little bit. All right, Drew, any final thoughts before we get out of here? 
I got nothing, buddy. Another big weekend of games. <laughs> That's true. Well, you can find the boys on the Cover 3 podcast today, Drew. We're talking a little bit Cruton with uh, Director of Recruiting Steve Wilfong, also Bud Elliott as well, of Cover 3. So that will be uh, up and live here soon. I know this podcast will probably be, be out by that time, so that uh, just goes to show. But you can find that also uh, on the Cover 3 Twitter page as well. Make sure to follow us and our podcast wherever you subscribe to your podcast, Spotify, Apple included. Make sure to leave a review if you have any questions. We'll find a way now with our two-day schedule to get some questions in there. It'll probably be the Wednesday show. Don't know what that format's going to look like going forward. But, guys, we appreciate you joining us. For Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins, I'm Cooper Patagna. We'll see you tomorrow. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.